Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. Today, we're going to be talking about someone called Ian Murray, What's happened to him in recent months is a really interesting case study and tells us a lot about some of the issues to do with free speech and the state of the media that we have been investigating here at Unheard. So I'm delighted that he's joining us now. So you've been a journalist and involved in the UK media for 40 years or more. And until very recently, you were executive director of the Society of Editors, which is a industry body that represents and campaigns on behalf of a free press. Is that a fair summary? The society does not represent the individual organisations. What it represents is those basic facts. The theme behind, shall we say, of a free press, freedom of expression and the public's right to know. So when the society speaks, it doesn't speak on behalf of, say, Rupert Murdoch or the BBC or the Telegraph. What it does is it speaks on those principles. I'd like to go through in a little bit of detail what happened to you. So we had um, the Duchess of Sussex and the Duke of Sussex did their big interview with Oprah. Um, we were then all talking about the accusations of racism within the royal family and within the media, the UK press that um, Meghan launched. And you were there in the media in the days afterwards, essentially defending the press as the representative from the Society of Editors from the charge of racism. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. So you didn't think, and you put out a statement to this effect, from the society, you didn't think that accusation that the British press was racist was a fair accusation. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I, I stand by that that today. Um, you know, um, I think we expected that uh, the Duke and Duchess would attack the British press, probably over privacy, um, uh, because after all, they've they've been going on about that for for quite some time. But the statement that came out took us 
took me particularly by surprise to actually accuse uh, sections of the British press of being bigoted, of being racist, and uh, implying that that had played a part in some of the negativity of the, of the coverage of, of the Duchess uh, ever since she'd arrived in, in, in Britain. Um, what we didn't say, what I didn't say in, in a statement was that there are no examples to be found anywhere in any coverage in the British media that could be construed as being racist. So your statement says that the UK media is not bigoted and will not be swayed from its vital role holding the rich and powerful to account following the attack on the press by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. It was, it was a strong statement but that, that, that was to counterbalance the fact of it, there is no proof, no evidence or come up with proof and evidence that, the, that there is a general theme of racism, of bigotry in the British media or large sections of the British media that they have got a racist uh, agenda in that sense. That is, is simply untenable, I believe, and I stand by that statement today. Um, and that's the statement that I put out as front man spokesperson for the Society of Editors. What happened then uh, is quite interesting and I'm afraid is becoming a bit of a pattern we have got to know uh, in recent years, which is that there began to be a campaign against your statement, against what you had said. Um, Haroon Sadiq, who is The Guardian's legal affairs correspondent, put together a letter uh, which was signed by 255 journalists of colour, rejecting the assertion that the UK press is not racist. Um, someone called Charlene White, an ITV presenter of Afro-Caribbean descent, also objected to it and pulled out of hosting the Society of Editors Awards in protest at what you had said. Uh, we had the editor of the Yorkshire Post um, who issued a statement withdrawing his team from the Society of Editor Awards and we had the editor-in-chief of The Guardian distancing her paper from your statement, editor of the I paper denounced it and so on and so forth. So you had the slightly, you might say, unusual situation where the journalists you were trying to defend or members of the press you were trying to defend from the charge of racism turned on you because you said they weren't racist. Is that, is that what happened? If you look at the statements that came out from the number of these media organisations, they didn't go so far as to say, we agree with the, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex that the sections of the British media are racist. What they actually said was, we disagree with the statement put out by Mr Murray um, because we believe that, th that, that there are areas that can be looked at and that, that we should be, should be considered and more that can be done to be inclusive and those kind of things, which is, which is fine and I agree with. And I never said that that wasn't the case. But if you disagree with a bold statement that the British media is not racist, is not bigoted, then you're obviously saying that it is. Um, and I don't, let me just stress here, I don't believe that any of those editors or any of those people were, were, were targeting particularly the Society of Editors. They were, they were not, I don't take it personally against, against me. They, what was coming to the fore was the, the, the growing war within the British media uh, between the two sides, shall we say, of, of the debate of left and right, which we've seen uh, you know, writ large in the, in the United States that was there. And this was an, an opportunity to uh, back a claim, a quite nasty claim against the right of the media, um, uh, uh, by the left of the media, shall we, shall we say. Um, so what you're saying is that those segments of the left-leaning media, what they really wanted was for the Daily Mail and the right-leaning tabloid press to be convicted, as it were, of the charge of racism. And they didn't like the idea that you were 
defending them. So there were... I can't. I, I can't. I, I'm not going to say that I can put myself completely into the minds of of, of those editorial teams on those uh, on those on those papers um, and, and others that, that 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 are there. But certainly, they wanted they wanted to side with those statements from the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, and and this was an opportunity to go for it. And and I've miscalculated that in the febrile atmosphere that that, that exists uh, today, that those old understandings of well, okay, you have a right to a voice and and we're not going to completely trash you um we're we're breaking down in that way that their responses were quite measured it was it was you know a growing campaign outside of that and the piling in of the mob that that seriously became the problem and then got up ahead of steam pressured against the society and, and against me and i i could see this coming quite quickly once i'd seen the reaction to, to the statement that I put out, I could I could see the end game you know, quite quickly was there because you know, for 40 years in the media, I, I, I'm there and it, it must be utterly bewildering for anyone that's caught up in this that doesn't understand the media and thinks that if they can just simply say, no, 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 that's not what I said. No, 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 that, that's not true. And here's the proof and I can show you and that, that they can silence the mob and you can't, you can't. So what happened next? As I say, I quickly didn't realize where the end game was coming from this. I could see that the, the, the role of the Society of Editors was going to be, at the very least, severely damaged. Its ability to actually represent uh, the principles of a free press in this country were going to be very damaged, if not destroyed, by the fact that if it, it was going to lose the confidence uh, and support of one side of the industry, um, and that something needed to be done quite quickly to actually stop that from happening. And and the idea that this organisation, which I'd helped to found 22 years ago, as one of the founding editors, I spent 10 years on the board. I was president for one year and had taken over, you know, four years ago as um, executive director. That this was now going to be severely damaged. I, you know, no. And the very, very thin silver lining in the, the, the way that the attacks were coming was they were getting very personal about me. When the mob turns, they, they, they need a target. And, you know, it's vicious, the, the, the phone calls, the hate, the, 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 the threats of violence and, and worse, actually reaching to me into my home, to my family uh, with phone calls and all kinds of things. And I calculated that if I was going to save the Society of Editors, um, I, I, I needed to walk away. I needed to walk away and, and I, I hoped would take the heat with me. And I, I, I calculated that correctly, I believe. So were you pushed or did you jump? Oh, no, no, don't, don't go wrong. I was not pushed. I was not pushed. I, had, I came to the conclusion quite rapidly that there was only one course of action. It wasn't that I offered my resignation. I resigned. So you put out a statement uh, it says, while I do not agree that the society statement was in any way intended to defend racism, I accept it could have been much clearer in its condemnation of bigotry and has clearly caused upset. The original statement was not intended to gloss over the fact that the media industry in the UK does have work to do on inclusivity and diversity. So that's also the kind of statement that we've become used to recently, which is the, the terminus, the end of these kind of controversies when someone ultimately resigns and then they put out a, these these statements that always have the same kind of language and the same kind of tone which is a sort of slightly may i say defeated sounding tone where you sort of say okay you you win i, I i'm gonna fall on my sword <laughs> yeah i could i could see that yes um defeated 
No, but the aim was to was was to, was to give the society a breathing space to to get the jackals to back off and to enable it to continue on with its work. And and we, as I said, I, we'd never said that there wasn't work to be done. There and looking back, could I have made that clearer in my initial statement? And the answer is yes. So, yes. so you do think you did something wrong? I did something wrong only in the sense of I wasn't clear enough in what I was trying to say. I did absolutely nothing wrong in defending the British media in saying that it is not intrinsically racist or bigoted. And I didn't apologise for saying that. Let's have a look at the actual substance for a bit, because it's, it's really quite interesting, isn't it? Um, on the question of is the British media racist? The, the, the controversy that has ended your um, career with the Society of Editors, at least. Um, I noticed that during the famous interview with Oprah Winfrey, they put up some screens mid-interview of examples of the hostile treatment Meghan had received during a discussion about racism. Um, so in the middle of that uh, screen, there's a headline from the Daily Mail and one of the words is actually blurred out. You have to Google it and look it up separately to find out what they're actually talking about. And it turns out this is a column by Sarah Vine, the Daily Mail columnist. And the headline is, yes, they're joyfully in love. So why do I have a niggling worry about this engagement picture? And the word niggling is then blurred out in the Oprah interview. And it's worth saying that hundreds of millions of people have seen that interview. So we'll presume that whatever was underneath that blurred word was a, a racial slur of some kind. I guess the idea is that niggling sounds like the n-word. That, that was my understanding of, of it. Um, and what I've read is that uh, niggling is not a word that the Americans use and so would not perhaps understand or, um, but it, it, they could very easily have, have, have understood it. I'm just talking about the, the presenters of the, of, uh, of, the, of the interview that Oprah did, could have, could have come to understand it by just simply making a check um, that, it, that it, it obviously is not um, a, a, a racist slur. And you don't think you don't think that's a, a racist dog whistle. You don't think Sarah Vine there is trying to deliberately use words that sound a bit like other words in order to sort of make suggestions in the back of people's minds. You don't buy into any of that. No, I don't buy into any of that at all. But, but at the end of the day, the, the, the point is that it's, it's, it's not my opinion on that, that that particularly matters. Yes, it's going to, there are some controversies that some people will discuss and say, I see this as having racial overtones. I see this as an example of bigotry. The point that I've been making across is that even if you can find elements of, of, of that, and I'm not saying that I will agree that that is racist or, or not, that, that, that that is not proof that of general racism, a general racism approach. In that particular case, no, I don't think so at all. Let, let's, look at, let's look at another example. You did a, a much shared interview with Victoria Derbyshire from the BBC, where she was very aggressive with you, trying to establish why you could defend the press, which in her view was self-evidently racist. Can I ask you about those headlines again? The star asked whether Harry would be marrying into gangster royalty. 
I'm not Mel going to defend one headline. Sorry, you, Mr. Murray, you just to told you just told me. Excuse coverage, me. Please, may I speak? Please, may I ask Sorry, the question? The huge amount of coverage. That's Mr. There. Murray, you can continue talking over me, but I want two examples and say, ah, oh, look, here's something that someone might point to and say. So therefore. That means that the, the, no, the you told me, you told me, my are, first, are Mr Murray, you told me the British tabloid press was not bigoted. I've just given you some examples. You're denying that those examples are racist. And I'm asking, why are no. you denying that? The numbers one and two examples that she hit you with in that live interview uh, were one from the Star and one from the Daily Mail. And I believe the Star used a headline saying that Harry had married into gangster royalty and the male said, used the phrase straight out of Compton to describe Meghan in a piece about her family and where they were from near the Compton neighborhood in California. What's your view now in the cold light of day about those two examples, which you said weren't racist in the Victoria Derbyshire interview? Do you, do you still think that? I... <laughs> I'd not heard of the film out of Compton, so I was genuinely not aware of of, uh, of what that was, and and it, it struck me with that example um, that it was it was a, a straightforward you know embellishing of a rags to riches kind of of story. I, I I just simply can't believe that any newspapers in this country intentionally will will be complicit in allowing their journalists or, or, or anyone to actually be deliberately racist and bigoted. I just I just can't believe that that, that exists into there. But you know, this isn't just on the on the on the on the right. I mean we've we've had the The Guardian, for instance, and a lot of controversy over when they produced a cartoon of the Home Secretary Priti Patel um, and depicted her as a as a as a as a fat bull with horns and a ring through her nose, and and the, I think the Times of India even said that they, they thought that had racist overtones, but but and it's controversial. I don't believe that that that, that personally that, that that's what the, the Guardian meant with that cartoon, but it's an example. Does that mean that the Guardian should therefore be considered a racist paper? Sorry, it's the same with the BBC. The BBC have had complaints about them, you know, kill Whitey. That was a joke. That was a comedian. It was in poor taste, but a lot of comedians are. They were the complaints about that. They brought out a, a survey um, on Twitter where they asked, um, is it true that uh, all black people like chicken? It was actually a terribly hack-handed way of doing, of trying to bring, you know, destroy stereotypes. There were a lot of complaints about that. And in fact, they took that tweet down, which does seem to be an admission that they realised they had a problem with it. But does that and other examples mean that the BBC is inherently racist? Please, come on. No, of course not. It's also... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Striking that of the thousands or maybe even tens of thousands of articles written about Meghan in the months and years since her marriage to Harry, these were the very worst examples that could be found, right? That's what was selected in order to make the case. And it's not a long list. Uh, it's quite quickly becomes anything negative about Meghan. And I just wonder what your thoughts are thinking about the earlier period when uh, shortly after her marriage. I remember that being a very positive period for her and she got the normal British press treatment. Exactly, Freddie, exactly. It, it was almost as if let's just basically forget about the fact of the euphoria, the absolutely overwhelmingly positive coverage in the British media across the board when this you know, this, this person came into the royal family's life. Uh, she was a mixed race, a breath of fresh air, and and here she she was, and it was positive, positive, positive all the way through through the wedding and everything. Yes, okay, she got family problems, and and the, 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 that was highlighted and, and written about, and then afterwards, yeah began to rub people a little bit up the wrong way by saying this is the way that you should live your lives, which is always difficult to do anyway when you're a rich and privileged person who's now in the royal family. Um, oh, and by the way, we're not going to actually live our lives like that. We're going to jet around the world in jets. But you so you're referring, there to, you're referring there to this green agenda. They, they took a private yes. jet to, I think it was Sicily. Yep. There was a climate summit. Yep. and. You're going to get negative coverage when you start doing those kinds of things. And as I try to, to point out, and I believe on the Victor, in the Victoria Derbyshire interview, it's not as though every other member of the royal family, particularly those who have married into the royal family, haven't had their fair share of criticism, including Kate, weighty Katie, if you can remember back, 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 uh, back to that. And you look at Fergie and you look at Diana herself, and then you look at all the members of the royal family, and you can accuse the media of being, you know, uh, uh, unfair, at times nasty, at times cruel. But even after, even after that, they'd announced that they were leaving the country, there was still huge amounts of positive coverage that was there. But what we got to, you picked up the, those two cases there. The other famous one is the, is the avocado story. 
the avocado story, the, there was a story about, you know, a picture of Kate handing Prince George, I understand, an avocado, and it was lovely, oh, 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 what a lovely little present and everything. And then there was a story about a month or so later about the, the, the ills of the avocado trade, and it depicted uh, uh, Meghan as saying, this is Meghan's favourite favorite food, and little does she know, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, and there we are. This is how, how they treat lovely Kate, but this is how they treat, yeah, now. You can look at that and say, and there are reasons behind that story and why it ran the, the way that it did um, with things. And, and, and Meghan wasn't the only person that was actually mentioned, a celebrity that was mentioned in that article about all these celebrities love avocados, but they don't know the harm they're doing, doing to the world. You could say, at best, that's unfair. Princess Kate got dealt, dealt with in this way, the Duchess of Cambridge was dealt with in this way, and the Duchess of Sussex was dealt in this way. But so that's what's your but what's your explanation for that then? Why did the media turn at least partially against Meghan, but didn't turn against Kate? If it's not race, what is it? Well, I think it, it's it's just it's just quite simple. There are two things. One, we don't like being preached to by members of royalty in particular, but shall we say we don't like being preached to, the British people, it's that simple. And the second thing is that we definitely don't like being preached to by people that are preaching one thing and then being appearing hypocritical and doing something completely different. And, and that's, that's how it was. It's all very well. And also, you know, you only have to look at it. Meghan and Harry, um, they, they made it plain that they didn't particularly like the press. They made it plain that they were going to do things their way. And, you know, if you're going to say, look, we don't like you, well, you know, parts of the media are going to say, well, we don't like you either. What's interesting is that what's happened to you is because race is involved in the equation of all of the different factors, that it is one, it is present. And therefore, we suddenly get to a situation where to minimise it or to disagree with the idea that it is the dominant factor makes you out to be a bad person in some way. You, you then are the wrong side of a, of a moral divide. And you got caught out there. You, you found yourself on the wrong side of this. I, yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely, I did. And um, uh, it, it, that, it was mostly, it was brought home to me mostly uh, the day after I'd resigned, actually, because, because once I, as I say, very quickly made that decision by myself to, to, to resign and to go, I, um, I sent quick messages to family, close family and friends to say, I'm resigning. I'm just in the process of resigning. I'll explain it all to you because they weren't following all of this. This was an industry, an industry thing that was going on. Um, I mean, I mean I, I'm in a good place. Don't worry about it. I thought I'd let you know because there might be some, a little bit of coverage of it tomorrow and, and didn't want to come as a bolt out, out of the blue. Little bit of coverage. You know, I, I was... I was the number one news item on every BBC bulletin from first thing in the morning throughout the whole of the day, on the hour, even half an hour, on the 15 every 15 minutes, TV, radio, everywhere. Every other uh, broadcaster picked it up. It was in most of the papers, and uh, a lot of them were actually very supportive uh, of me. It broke in America. Um, I had friends, colleagues, uh, family who live in North America, Canada, and the States contact me to say, you're breaking news. I was I was being discussed on news discussion programs in Australia. As a question, I popped up in a question on Question Time that night. But does that what does that make you think though? I mean, it did it was the net effect that it looked like a 
a, a victory for that campaign then? It, it well, looked I, like you had no. admitted fault, well, the exactly. campaign had been successful, and that's why exactly. it was a big news item. Well, exactly, because, because a, a friend that, that on the, the end of the, the, the middle of all that who, was, who works with the media um, and knows a lot about it, and, and she said to me, she said, I'm sure you'll take this question the right way, Ian, but why is it that the resignation of some bloke that no one's hardly ever heard of from some organisation that no one's hardly ever heard of is the one, one, number one news item in the UK and trending all over the world? And I said, well, you know, look, I know why. There are three reasons. One, it's the Meghan and Harry, you know, sparkle dust coming down from, from, from Hollywood. The second one was that I was following in the wake of Piers Morgan, who had resigned a, a little earlier before I did. And so therefore, I mean, he's far more well known than I am. And so therefore, here's another another person that's been forced to go. The third reason, which goes to the point that, that you that you've made, that it's a change from being a classic witch trial, whereby someone who is accused stands up to defend someone who's been accused of being a witch. It must therefore be a witch to become the culmination of a classic show trial. And what happens at the end of a show trial is when you've got your admission, when you've got your culprit, you must shame them publicly. You must make sure that everyone gets the message that if you don't agree with what we say, if you push back against anything what, what we say, that this is what we'll do to you. We'll come for you. We'll come for your family. We'll come for your career, your friends, anyone that associates with you. So don't question don't question. For you personally, what has the experience been like? I mean, you were a hardworking, successful journalist who had this position, and now you no longer have it. You've lost your job. And now if you Google your name, these will be the, the things that come up probably, possibly for many years to come. This is now a big part of your life story. And how does that feel? Am I bitter and twisted about it? I can be. I can be pretty, pretty annoyed about it. In the first stage, you're obviously in shock, in shock from 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 doing it. Um, you take an awful lot of comfort, and I have done from the the outpouring of support from people I know and people I never met at all, including lots of reporters on those papers coming coming to me saying, "You we, you don't know who I am, but thank you so much. We are not racist, and we, we needed someone to actually say that for us." And, and support from a, a lot of people in the industry. Um, yeah, disappointment that with some others that I thought were, were, were friends or associates who ran for the hills, shall we say. And it slowly dawns on you, well, not slowly dawns on you, but reasonably quickly dawns on you that your reputation has been shredded in some ways, that it's been tarnished. Um, have you got that, a new job? <laughs> I have always been a consultant uh, on media matters, and I, you know, it's my intention to continue to do that and continue. I, th I think I can talk with even more knowledge now from being, you know, right in the centre of, of, of this. Uh, but I've and I also continue to. I want to actually be a commentator on on all of this and to, and to actually speak up because I think, you know, I could easily just go away. But I mean, so. are you okay financially? Because part of your income, or a big part of your income has just disappeared. Um, am I okay financially? Uh, yeah, it's a blow. They, when they, I'm, I'm not your Piers Morgan who can say, you know, stuff it. I've got millions, and anyway, his career continues on with those those kinds of things. So yeah, that's that's yeah. why I'm that's why I'm asking Ian not to try and embarrass you personally, but to say that you know there are real people at the other yeah. end of these yeah. witch yeah. hunts, and it makes a huge difference to their lives. And when Victoria Derbyshire is having her 10 minutes with you on BBC News and everyone signs open letters and then they get a scalp and then everyone moves on. Yeah. What we're left with is you now for yeah, yeah. I'm the, not, the rest of I, your life. 
Look, I, I, I'm not going to plead poverty. Let's just say, um, as I explained to my wife about this, that if it was going to happen, um, I'm glad that it happened when I was 62 and not 52 or 42 when the kids were younger and um, we weren't in a position to be you know, financially solvent, which which we are. Um, yes, it's it's wrecked plans leading up to retirement and all those kinds of things. So, Ian, let's, let's zoom out then and say, well, what, what, what does this make you think? Where are we? We're in a quite a frightening place where gangs like this can form on the slightest apparent transgression on one of these hot button issues. They think they're being virtuous and are on the side of the angels and they, they form a rampage and then you have events like this. Is the world now quite a frightening place? What does it make you think about the state of the media and the state of free speech? I think it is a very, a very worrying place. Um, uh, you know, look, I can be annoyed with the left of the media who who traduced me, who who you know damaged me, who who who, 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 who they didn't set out to set the mob on me, but but you know were, you know were part of a, of, a, of what happened to me. But I'm not going to say that they, they should be silenced. I'm not going to say that they shouldn't have a voice. Now, that would be hugely hypocritical of me over all these years. I want them to continue to have a voice. I, you know, I, I agree that the BBC, you know, needs to be reformed. I don't think anything it's doing at the moment is actually going to achieve that. But I'm not going to join the camp of, uh, uh, who say that it should be defunded. I don't think that's going to make it at all. I think that, that we should have one real last I mean, effort to try and drag the BBC back to the centre ground, um, because it's absolutely because you think it's left leaning. Uh, yes, when it's described as left leaning, I always think that basically, if the if the Tower of Pisa was leaning that far, it would have crashed down an awful long time ago. Yeah, yeah, and I'm liberated now from the society of editors. I could never say that quite rightfully because the role was to you know, gel it together as much as possible. But but free of that, I can I can I can be honest about things and say, yeah, of course. Of course it is. So free speech then, as a, as a sort of theme, as a feeling, do you think we have it? Do you think right now in this country we have free speech? No, we don't. We don't. Because when you, know, the, 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 you, you speak your mind um, and someone like me and many others uh, speak your mind and you're crushed back to the show trial thing where you lose your, your income and... and and you face that kind of uh, of a reaction and mob because of expressing an an, an opinion, um, of course not. And there must be must be, and we are seeing this over in the United States. We're seeing that that, that there's a, there's a, people that are frightened to actually express an opinion. And I think it's going on in this country as well. And I think it's growing. It's absolutely vital for politicians and those of the establishment and those in a position to influence to actually stop denigrating the media, stop pointing fingers at the press, stop saying things like, well, we believe in a free press, but just sort of not those guys over there kind of thing. Because that's that way of undermining the media, undermining the press actually gives validity to those who attack them. It gives validity to the, the mob. So when are they, they, you don't come more establishment than the grandson of the monarch, so when two very rich, privileged uh, you know, uh, uh, people that are, whose opinions are followed by an awful lot of people attacked the media in that way, where, where were the government to actually stand up and actually say, no, hang on a second, we, we disagree with that. That's, that's not true. Because if it is true, guys, why is it that before and even after those statements, you're still quite happy to write columns to go into those papers 
uh, when it suits you and you have been doing very recently. You know, so guys, where were you talking, walking the walk there and coming to the defense of me and the industry as a whole? No, there was there none. But on the whole, they, they're doing the right things. But don't, you know, one change of government, the Labour Party are no fans of, 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 uh, of, of, of a free, free press. They certainly don't like it on the one side. And in recent times, have been pretty vocal about, about the kind of changes that they would like to make, which would be restrictions of the press. And we've seen what's gone on over in the United States, haven't we? We saw President Trump you know, threatening or musing over, I mean, threatening really to take away the licenses of, of, of broadcasters he didn't like. And now and he himself seen, has now been chucked off social media. And now he's been he's been chucked off. And I, I I wrote a piece in the in the in the Telegraph, uh, actually saying that he should have his voice back. If the if the most if the former most powerful man in the world can be denied a voice by Twitter by all the social media platforms when he hasn't been convicted of any crime, then what hope for the rest of us? What hope for the rest of us? And and don't think they can't come for, for this. What we have seen happening, what what led to my cancellation, although I contend I'm not cancelled, what led to my cancellation was an attempt to emasculate, to continue to emasculate one section of the media. You'll be very careful now, won't you, whenever you write anything about all these kind of things, because, because, and that. And, and this, this will continue. This, this will continue until enough people stand up and actually say no. No, no, all voices should be heard within the law. There are laws in this country. I've never advocated. I don't think we should have complete deregulation of the media. I do not believe that, that that there should be no regulations whatsoever. You know, when you talk about free speech, absolutely not. You know, you know, hate speech. I understand. No, there's no point. And and in real racism, Freddie, I would not have stood up to defend a racist press and media. It's as simple as that. But now it's becoming to a point that if you, you try to defend against anything, you're going to get swamped and attacked and overwhelmed. And that has a chilling effect. That mean makes people will step up. Whether they are in the media or elsewhere, it's censorship. It's self-censorship. And that is a dangerous thing. Ian, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your thoughts today. Thanks for telling us about your experience. Thank you, Freddie. Thanks for the chance. That was Ian Murray, until very recently, the executive director of the Society of Editors, the organization responsible for defending free speech, defending a free media, and he was forced to step down after having transgressed uh, on the issue of racism and whether the British press were racist towards Meghan. Great to hear from him, quite a sobering interview, I thought, to see what the human side of some of these stories can be. I uh, hope you found it interesting too. This was Lockdown TV. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.